Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's getting so close now that we can start counting down the hours. In just 84 of them, from now, we will be closing the polls on a Thursday night and preparing for a new government. The shouting will be over, the campaigning will be done, the tactical voting will come to a standstill, and only the counting will be left to do. The Independent Republic, of course, will be with you through the night here on Talk Radio as each result comes through following Julie Hartley Brewer's evening show at 10pm. We've just worked out, ladies and gentlemen, that between us, Julie Hartley Brewer and me, Mike Graham, we will be giving you 15 hours, one hour after another, solidly, of us. What could be better? Thursday nights have never been more fun than that, I have to tell you. Now, as the story of the night uh, unfolds, of course, it might well be how the political landscape in this country has turned on its head as the Conservatives prepare to be the party of the working class. Nobody can be sure absolutely uh, that the Tories are going to win a majority. The polls are showing a lead for them overall. But one that's caught my eye this morning is the one from blue-collar conservatism, which reveals that working-class people are moving away from the Labour Party in their droves. The numbers are stunning. 48% say they will vote for Boris Johnson. Just 31% of working-class people in this country say they will vote for Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party. Traditions are moving swiftly along. Or are they? We'll be talking to Philip Blond, head of the think tank Respublica, uh, to find out what he makes of it all. 0344 499 1000. Today, the party leaders are beginning a blitz of activity in a host of marginal seats up and down the country. The big question is, will it be too little, too late? We want to hear from you today as we count down to Thursday's big decision. Your voices, of course, are the important ones in this campaign. They always have been on this radio station because you are the people who are actually going to elect the next government of this country. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up later, we'll be bringing you the latest from that volcano in New Zealand and we'll find out why so many people are now prisoners of their own mortgages. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So we saw another debate over the course of the weekend. We saw some more interviews over the course of the weekend. I can't say that I was particularly taken by any of it. I can't say that I was particularly engaged with any of it. And I can't say for sure uh, that I'm not entirely fed up with the whole campaigning process. However... 
as we get closer and closer, and we're just three days away now from the big vote on Thursday, it is starting to get a little bit exciting here in the Talk Radio studios. Let's talk to Philip Bond, though, from ResPublica, because this morning uh, he tweeted out something very, very interesting indeed. And it was, as I say, this um, poll that's been done uh, by the Blue Collar Conservative uh, uh, Organisation, which basically suggests that working class people are voting away from Labour in their droves, voting for the Tories. And I wonder whether this is a kind of return to what we saw during Margaret Thatcher's time running the, T the Conservative Party, when she basically was buoyed up by a whole bunch of working-class Conservatives. Philip, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thank uh, please be on the Independent Republic. Well, I'm very happy to have you on here, Philip, knowing as I do that you and I both share the uh, uh, the delights of being neutral rather than having the shackles of some sort of party political machine behind us, because in the end... It looks like the landscape is changing a bit here. No, it definitely is. What we're seeing is that the Labour Party has essentially become a party of the middle class, the cosmopolitans, um, big cities, particularly uh, uh, London and the South East, and the young. Mm. And um, the Conservative Party, and this started uh, with Brexit, is becoming the party of the working class. So it's almost back to an Israeli-type uh, situation where the working classes uh, are now allied to centre-right um, politics and centre-right uh, parties. I mean, in a way, it's always been the centre ground that's won elections for parties, hasn't it? It won it for Tony Blair, it won it for Margaret Thatcher, albeit that people would have said that was a shift to the right. I mean, Boris Johnson is perceived by those in the Labour Party as, as, as on the right, and sometimes is referred to as far right, but he's not really, is he? Well, the interesting thing is, is, is I mean, I wrote about this 10 years ago in a book called Red Tory, mm. where I predicted this was the politics of the future. It's also true that this is true across Europe and in America. And, and the politics are economically left. So you use the state to secure working class people um, and protect them uh, from low wages in, and job insecurity, but culturally right. So you protect the family, you protect the nation, and you go strong on patriotism and your value set. And that indeed is the new politics of the future. And it's quite different from the centre ground that we've had before, that has always been a soft version of mm, liberalism. Right. And the real thing that's going on is that the West is no longer governed by liberalism. And liberalism no longer delivers for working class people, and they know it. It delivers mass migration, which people feel uh, makes them insecure. It delivers them economic marginalisation. And most importantly, it allows people like Joe Swinson, etc., to treat their values with contempt as, as if kind of uh, traditional conserving values are somehow contemptible. Yes, well, that has happened in this election, I think, more than any other that I've seen, where if you don't have a certain sex, set of values and beliefs, i.e. if you're not the Joe Swinson or, or sort of Jeremy Corbyn brigade, basically you are an evil, horrible, ghastly individual who cares nothing for your environment or for anybody in it. Yeah, and, and uh, guess what? That value set is only shared by about 11% of the population. Mm. And, and what we're seeing, um, thankfully, is its rejection. And the point is, is that um, Corbyn doesn't even represent traditional Labour values. You know, no. consorted with terrorists, with Islamicists. And what he's doing with even, even the, the Jewish voting base is essentially taking the old 
anti-Semitic line that Judaism is capitalism, and then kind of pro-Palestinian views, and creating essentially a war upon uh, an ethnic minority in Britain. It, it's peculiar. It really is peculiar. Interesting tweet I'm looking at here from uh, Tim Bale, uh, who says the Tories' top two themes, Brexit and taxation, have received 24.5% of the coverage overall, 29.8% on broadcast TV. By contrast, Labour's top two issues, health and the environment, have been featured in only 14% of the coverage and 13% of the TV coverage all over. What I would say about that is, is that people, I think, do care more about Brexit and taxation in this particular election than what the Labour Party say we care about, which is the NHS, uh, health and the environment. Yeah, the striking thing about Labour is, is they retreated into their comfort zone. But by any international comparison, the NHS is not the best health system in the world. It only wins or, or gets in, in, in the top uh, uh, quartile because it's inclusive. But right. in terms of deaths from non-communicable diseases, it's right at the bottom. Yeah. And I think people recognise the NHS isn't the gold standard. And all that you're getting from Labour is fake stories about the Tories trying to privatise the NHS. And that's genuinely not true because the Tories have been in power um, uh, for, for many years and they haven't privatised the NHS. So their core values, they've chosen the wrong themes they haven't reinvented the Radical Manifesto offer. And, and if you look at what they're really offering, free broadband, free train fare, four-day working week, that sounds like you're working at Google rather than an <laughs> offer for working-class people. Right. So it's like complete, a complete car crash. And the interesting thing, though, is the Conservatives don't have any transformative policy offers. They haven't gone in with any policy offers for their new electoral base. They've gone small and let their opponents make all the mistakes. But the interesting thing for the Conservatives is they have to come up with red Tory, pro-working class um, policies that protect ordinary, decent working families and working people. And that's going to be the challenge for Johnson's government if he wants to hold on to the gains that it looks like he might make. No, I mean, I'm absolutely in agreement with you here. Philip, because I'm looking at the, uh, the front page of The Guardian this morning and Jeremy Corbyn uh, in a very, what can only be described as undiverse photograph, uh, those would be his words, not mine, uh, with people, little kids saying, get the Tories out, vote for Labour, uh, a very nice uh, woman with some very multicoloured hair standing next to him, they're all smiles and it says, uh, Jeremy Corbyn will promise Britain's jaded voters that a Labour government would put money in your pocket. He's appealing to the people who are not voting for him now. He's appealing to the people who used to be Labour voters, but who are now not likely to be. Yeah, they've, been, they've had a very confused um, election, and um, that's because their analysis is wrong. I mean, this really is an open goal election for a, a Labour party that had its act together. Yeah. If they followed a patriotic, we love Britain, we're going to secure Britain, uh, offer, if they then said to the middle class that <clears throat> we will secure and help the poor, that would create a coalition that would give Labour a majority. Uh, because what's happening is people now vote on value sets. And the middle classes now will vote for pro-poor policies. So that's a huge change. But because they've been so inept, they've let in the Conservatives, who don't have that policy offer, but have a Brexit offer, which stands proxy for principles that working class people believe in. Um, and, the, and But there's no content for that from the Conservatives. So really, 
what's happening is, is, you know, the Conservatives are just playing defensive. They don't need to go on the attack. And Labour are kicking balls into the back of their own net. Yeah, well, exactly right. And and when we see, um, you know, the get, get Brexit done slogan, you sort of know what the Tories are all about. And a couple of people this morning have been saying to me, I don't really know if you were to come up with a Labour Party slogan, what, what it would be for this election. I don't know. Something like... Um, uh, Get the Tories out, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that would be about the best I could come up with. But, you know, when you see people like Eddie Izzard uh, and, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, um, Steve Coogan going out and, and, and campaigning and Hugh Grant going out and campaigning. I mean, ordinary working class people are looking at these guys and going, I'm sorry, that's not making me vote Labour. Well, what they're doing is the politics of minorities. So, so the Owen Jones approach. So it's kind of going out. I'd almost forgotten about scream, him. Yeah, screaming, screaming for the rights of minorities and ignoring majorities yeah. and that, that's and making majorities feel insecure and attacking majorities for having normal values right. and championing extremists who are often only in tiny numbers as if they're the new norm so, you know, they deserve to lose on that offer. I'm is afraid. it the effect of, of being too concentrated as well in urban areas, which Labour has been now for quite a long time, you know, in the sense that uh, all the inner cities are quite well packed and stacked with Labour voters, but outside of those cities, which is the bulk of this country, let's face it, whether it be rural Britain or just sort of slightly more suburban well, Britain? I, I don't quite know the facts, but I suspect that uh, at least half of the population still live outside of the main cities. Um, but I think your analysis is right. But it's not just that they're concentrated in the cities. It's a certain cosmopolitan liberal set within those cities that dominate. Mm. And it's really unappealing. And um, for working class voters in the north, um, Labour really has nothing to offer them. You know, yes. they didn't even lead on things like devolution. You know, they want centrist control. So it's, it's an old offer, and it worked um, uh, in the 2017 election for the young, you mm. know, of the tuition fees. But it doesn't look like anything can happen. But I think we've got a choice now between a hung, elect, uh, hung parliament and a Tory landslide. And actually, because the way first past the post works, a very small percentage shift can give you one or yeah. the other. And do you feel as though the young vote is going to be important? Because a lot of people, of course, assume that all young people vote for Jeremy Corbyn. Not necessarily the case, but we did see an awful lot of voter registration. Young vote, the young vote is almost always never important because young people don't vote. Right. And uh, they don't vote. It's, it's the point of differential turnout. So essentially, um, if I can put it like that, one older voter is worth one and a half times a younger voter just because older voters vote younger voters don't. Yes. And if you actually look at where Corbyn made his, his shift in 2017, it was in the 35 to 45 age group, not in, in, in the so-called young. So, so, and I'm sure that that will remain the same. OK. And as far as the kind of um, the way that the landscape looks after the election, if, for example, and we've heard some um, Labour MPs on this, uh, Labour uh, candidates, I should say, on this this morning on Julie Hartley Brewer's show, saying, you know, why should Jeremy Corbyn resign if he fails? But I was saying to somebody this morning that this is the fourth election, I think, now uh, that Labour are heading into without expecting anything like a majority of any kind, without even being able to contemplate winning you'd have to say that under most circumstances that would lead to new leadership, wouldn't it? But they've got, you know, the, the extremist sectarian left has a lock on the party now. 
and it's very difficult to 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 see them losing. It's you know, they're they're too big to die and too small to succeed. Mm. So there it'll be a slow strangulation. And the trouble is, our electoral system keeps them al- alive, and um, and I don't see that changing. So they will exist perhaps as a permanent slowly eroding minority on the left, which will con- create the conditions for um, almost permanent centre-right governance. It's going to be a fascinating week, I'm sure. Philip, thank you very much indeed. Philip Blonder uh, from Respublica telling us some very interesting information indeed about working class voting, about young people voting, about the way the Labour Party is likely to conduct itself in the last few days of the campaign. We want to hear from you, of course, because there's plenty of people listening to this radio show who would consider themselves to be working class. And I want to know if you were a Labour voter and you're no longer going to be one or what your friends are telling you about all that. 0344 499 1000. The battleground is now set. Uh, Boris Johnson is going to be up in Sunderland a little bit later on. He knows precisely what areas he wants to target because he knows the Tories need to win certain seats in the northeast of England, which will guarantee them a majority. But as you heard Philip Blonde say, it is by no means a done deal. It could still be a hung parliament. It could well be that Labour do better than everybody expects. We want to hear your voices on this because you're going to elect this Thursday a new government. 0344 499 1000. We are your election station. This is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Lots more for us to do. Many more of your calls to take, of course, as well. Uh, let's talk to Rachel Neal first, first of all, because, of course, one of the things that uh, uh, people strive for in this country uh, is to own their own home. And we've had plenty of ups and downs in the property market over the course of the last few decades. We've now got a situation where many people are finding it much more difficult to get a mortgage than they used to. There was a time when it was absolutely as easy as pie. All you had to do was fill out a form and say, oh, yeah, don't worry, I make £100,000 a year. Can I have a house? And they went, oh, yeah, no problem at all. Here's a load of money. Uh, and uh, you can, in fact, go somewhere else if you don't like it. Nowadays, we have people actually demonstrating uh, outside the uh, Financial Conduct Authority uh, because they're basically saying they are trapped with, uh, without any help from a city regulator um, and they can't get out of the situations they're in. Let's talk to Rachel Neal, who can probably explain it a lot better than I've just done. Rachel, um, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Hi, good afternoon. We're hearing there's about 140,000 people currently uh, in this kind of situation. Tell us precisely what a mortgage prisoner is. Well, we are obviously people that, um, due to the financial crash, we were sold on um, to inactive lenders um, and vulture funds. So basically they were people, they were companies that aren't being regulated properly. They are people that can um, put interest rates up to whatever they want which has left um, homeowners um, and, and mortgage prisoners in this situation where it's been reported today in the Times that some, some people are paying £1,000 more a year. Right. Mo- that, that's wrong. Most people are paying you know, near to £1,000 too much a month. Some people are, not a year. Wow. Um, so it's a- absolutely ridiculous situation um, and we've been lobbying hard with the to, to the FCA and to um, the government to make changes. And as far as your situations are concerned, you you were so you were sort of put into these mortgage plans, as it were. You didn't really have any choice in it, right? Well, the majority of us were um, customers of Northern Rock. Yeah. So when Northern Rock, obviously, when the crash happened, Northern Rock was sold off by the government, and we were put into all different entities. Mm. Um, and you know, they were then 
given the option of what we what rate we got put on, we actually were all with high street this high street lender. We've been deemed as bad payers or um, creating issues with the banking system, but we, no one was a bad payer initially because we all got a high street bank to give us a mortgage. Yeah. Um, and we were given this advice by the banks itself. We were also given the advice by independent mortgage brokers um, who we all went to and we all passed their criteria at the time. It wasn't until we've been sold on and the interest rates have been hiked up um, that people have then run into all these issues. Mm. And because of the affordability tests that have now changed since then, all these people are now trapped and able to move. And a lot of these um, mortgage accounts have been taken over, I understand, by US hedge funds. Does that make it more complicated because you, because you don't really have the jurisdiction over there? Absolutely, yeah, because there, there is no regulation over them. Um, and, you know, they're also being bought up by different entities within the banking industry um, that, that are, are unregulated. Or, although they're sort of just inactive lenders, some are hedge funds that, that are, we now call vulture funds because they're just purely um, done, put there just to make money off the back of people like us. Yeah. And what's happening to, to people like yourself, Rachel, if you can't afford to make these payments, do they just repossess the home? Um, yeah, we've, I've been dealing with so many repossessions in the last week um, because they are inactive lenders, because they're not really regulated um, very well, then it means that they're not, they, they don't follow the same sort of rules. A lot of the people that are now with these companies um, are vulnerable from you know, having massive mental health issues because they've been under so much pressure, family breakdowns, um, and it's caused caused huge, huge repossession rates. I mean, yeah. we've, just, we've just done um, a survey on our Facebook page, on UK Mortgage Prisons' Facebook page, and um, I've just been told this morning that from 170 responses that we've had on there, we've had two deaths linked to being a mortgage prisoner, and we've had um, five contemplate suicides. Goodness now, out of 170 people, that is a massive amount um, that you know, that uh, feel feel that way from being under the pressure that they're under. Yeah. And in your own situation, according to the piece in the Times, um, Rachel, you're paying interest at around about 4.79%, um, which is more than double, basically, yeah. uh, what you would yeah. get on an average sort of two-year um, two fixed rate mortgage on the market at the moment. Yeah. And, and also, when we took out our um, mortgage, we were told that the best, um, situation to put ourselves in at the time would be an interest-only mortgage for two years and then to move on to a repayment mortgage, right. um, which we took that advice and we did. Um, hence, so that we were never asked to put a repayment vehicle in place um, because that's what they discussed. But then, of course, the crash happened, the um, criteria changed, the affordability rules changed, and then now we've, like, like myself, there's a lot of people now that are stuck on interest-only mortgages um, and that they're going to come to the end of their term and they're either going to be at retirement age so they can't remortgage or they simply don't pass the affordability criteria. Um, and, and that's the issue that we've got surrounding um, the protests and mm. things that have been happening because the SCA have brought in new rules for the affordability, but they discount interest-only mortgages. They discount people that have been in arrears in the past from being on such high interest rates. 
Um, and now they're at the point where they're saying their hands are tied because legislation and the government need to do something. Right. So um, you're asking for compensation from uh, the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. They're saying they can't <laughs> give it to you. Where would that come from anyway? We, we aren't asking the FCA for compensation. Um, that might have been something that's been put out due to... There's a lot of other banking groups that were at the protest on Friday. Right. Um, so we're not actually asking the FCA for compensation. We're, we have spoken to the government on a number of times about how they are going to address the situation that there's 100, between 140 and 200,000 people in this country that have been paying nearly double the interest rate for over 10 years and they have just left it dormant with, with no resolve and not addressing the situation. And so what are you hopeful might happen in the next few weeks? Are you got more demos uh, planned or, or uh, more representations um, to anywhere? There, there, there is a lot, lot of things bubbling on and there will be an announcement before Christmas that we're going to make as a group, but we're waiting for government to come back um, so that we can continue to lobby and look at whether we can get um, a public inquiry in place yes. to look at the failings of what's actually happened over the last 10 years to us. Yeah, right, because I guess you'd need a government in order to get that done, so you'd have to wait yeah. till, till Friday morning, I suppose. Exactly, yeah, yeah until we know who's in place. Um, I, on my last protest, Sajid Javid was doing a walk around, so I accosted him and went and spoke to him and asked him if he was going to help us. Um, and he asked that if he got back into Parliament, then I was to call his um, office and try and arrange a meeting. So I'm actually going to hold him to that if he gets back in because, um, you know, him and John Glenn. Uh, under the Conservative government, they're the people that can change this. Yes, and I'm sure uh, you will be as tenacious as you can be. Rachel, thank you very much indeed. Rachel Neal there uh, from the Mortgage Prisoners uh, pr uh, protest group because it does seem ridiculous, does it not? Most of these people, it seems, uh, are basically uh, former clients of Northern Rock. Northern Rock, you might remember, was the first building society to kind of go under during that uh, uh, start of the financial kind of breakdown of the banking system. And basically, it was sold off. And rather than being rescued in the way that uh, uh, HSBC, what well, not HSBC, sorry, uh, HBOS was and RBS was, they were sold off. And bits of their mortgages are now owned by American companies, owned by hedge funds, owned by some, uh, you know, what might be described as questionable banking organisations. But basically, uh, it's not good enough, I don't think, for them to be trapped in these places where they can't get out. Because if you've got a mortgage, um, whether it's a two-year bubble mortgage, whether it's a mortgage that's for 10 years, you should be able to change it for a fee, albeit, uh, but you should be able to change it. You shouldn't be trapped paying 5% when everybody else is paying 2 doesn't seem right. Uh, let's talk to Paul, who's called in from Tunbridge Wells on this. Hello, Paul. Hello, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. What can you tell me? Yeah, good. Well, I think everyone's agreed it's a crazy situation and yeah. people need help. And I think the, situa the solution can be very simple mm. if the regulator was of a mind to come up with simple solutions, which, of course, they're not always. But, <laughs> no. Um, in, in, in my book, they changed the rules after the crash to, present, to pre reduce the, the systemic risk of default. Yeah. And by leaving the rules as they are, they're basically increasing the risk of default for these mortgage prisoners. A very simple change they could make would be to say that all lenders in this country who want to operate under FCA rules are obligated to take on a, a customer where the customer can prove they're up-to-date with their payments. I know they all can't, but this would at least solve the problem for 75% of people. So they're up-to-date with payments, their job situation is what it, what it was during that, you know, the last two or three years, right. and they're not borrowing any more money. 
And if the regulator said those three things mean you have to offer them a mortgage because they're not borrowing any more money, there is absolutely no increase in systemic risk of default. So they would immediately probably give 75% of these mortgage prisoners a very simple, easy way of changing their mortgage to a much cheaper option. Yeah, because when you start to see people, um, you know, losing their homes as a result of the way this has been worked out, and and, and, and worse, you know, suffering um, mm. mentally, suffering um, pain yeah, and anguish, yeah. and even sometimes taking their own lives. I mean, it's a ridiculous situation. And it seems well, entirely unfair, doesn't it? I, I think that the simple solution I've just outlined probably wouldn't work for the people in the extreme cases. And I think there is a huge obligation on the regulator to recognise when its rules have caused such an extreme situation. But I, I would suspect out of, I think you said earlier, it's about 140,000 people are in this situation. I, my guess would be well over half of them are actually probably still you know, managing to be up to date with payments. They're just, you know, they're just really trapped. That's, that's my experience of people. The people who are really in the extreme cases where they absolutely are struggling, I think they just need a special, you know, a special set of rules for those people to help them. But, you know, you know the, the... Yeah, because it's what, not what, a what difficult... What do you want to call it? Inertia. Well, exactly. And also, it's not a particularly difficult problem in the sense that most of them, I, I believe, anyway, are from one place. They're from Northern Rock, you know. Well, exactly. And so and you, can, you can backtrack yeah. that one easily enough and find out how this happened. And I can't believe the regulator always pushes back and says, oh, we can't do anything, we've got to get the law changed. I, I, I just, you know, the law very clearly says the regulator's obligation is to create a, a market that works well, to reduce the risk of systemic default, right. you know, and to make sure customers are treated fairly. And, you know, the, the massive obligation on everyone working in this industry is to treat customers fairly. Right. And, and yet again, the regulator fails to do what it insists that everyone else working in the industry does. Oh, no, quite remarkable. I, I just think they're... they're yeah, I don't know why. They're just in this country, Mark. There seems to be some institutional reluctance to come up with simple solutions. Yes, possibly. and also institutional kind of anti-customer is always right thing going on because the customer in this country is never right. That seems to me all the way from the government departments down, all the way through to private individual shops, to private individual companies, to public companies. I mean, I went and bought a Christmas tree yesterday. Right, here's a little story for you. Thanks, Paul, for your call. Um, if you're trapped in this situation, I'd love to hear from you as well. 03444991000. Went to this Christmas tree farm, right, where they had a car park where there was plenty of room for cars to park. I, there was a car, there was a couple of cars, there was a space for maybe two more cars. I pulled into a space, uh, leaving enough room so that when I opened my car door, it doesn't bang into the car next to me because there were no specific spaces. It was like a, you know, patch of land, right? So this guy comes knocking on the door. Turns out he was wearing clogs, which should have told me everything I needed to know. Uh, and he asked me to move my car closer to the side. I said, I beg your pardon? He said, can you move your car closer to the side? I said, which side? He said, well, either left or right. I said, well, what's the difference? He said, well, because there will be more room for cars. If you park closer to the other cars, then we can get more cars in. I'm like, there's plenty of space. There's loads of space. He's like, it's going to get busy. And I had a good mind to just get back into... I hadn't got out of the car, just to drive off. I was like, you know, you want me to buy a Christmas tree from you? You should be a little bit more welcoming. Anyway, I did what he asked and um, was quite irritable about it. But uh, it just seemed to me completely pointless. Came out with the tree, having spent nearly 100 quid on it, right? And it turns out that I have to carry the tree myself to the car, which I don't mind doing. I just want them to say, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. Not move your car closer to the one over there. Do you know what I mean? This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
as a crowd There's always something happening And it's usually quite loud Our mum, she's so house proud so much going on today. Uh, we are less than 82 hours away now from the closing of the polls at 10 o'clock. Don't forget, of course, we will be here. Uh, don't worry. All the way through the night and all the way through the next day as well uh, at Talk Radio. We'll be here, of course, on Thursday when the polls are open as well, uh, talking about a great many other things. We're going to go to the phones right now, 0344 499 1000. Many of you want to talk about the mortgage situation. Some of you uh, want to talk about the way that voting is going to be going as well, of course. There's lots of tactical voting going on. I'm not sure that's going to make a great deal of difference but you never know uh, let's go to Juliet first of all who's in London hello Juliet hello and um, thank you for taking my call and thank you for bringing up the mortgage prisoners are you are you one of them Juliet unfortunately yes yeah. I am I'm an ex ex northern rock it's a shocking thing. I mean, I must confess, you know, we, we sometimes like to think we know what's going on out there in the big wide world, but oh, you see a story like this, and I had no idea that all of this more, uh, Northern Rock stuff had, had gone to what I would only describe as some rather dodgy characters. Yeah, majorly dodgy. Vulture yeah. funds, as yeah. we call them. And the, the hard thing is the way that we're portrayed. When like, I was reading um, articles today, mm. and they're saying that we were bad payers, we took out risky mortgages... And that's just a complete lie. Mm. I took out my mortgage um, in 2002 with Northern Rock, remortgaged every two years with them because they just offered you another fixed rate deal. Right. Um, at the time, I had a 90% mortgage. I now currently have 43% loan to value and I'm still classed as a mortgage prisoner. I cannot get a mortgage. Yeah. And is your mortgage... And I'm no risk. I'm not in arrears. Right. Is your mortgage without, if you don't wish to name them, without naming who has got it, is it, is it owned by one of these overseas companies? Cerberus. Yeah. Land, well, we call them Landshark, right. but it's actually Landmark. Right. Yeah. But hmm. they just, you know, they're not interested when we had problems. Years, uh, two years ago, my husband had a heart attack, um, was off work for four months. Right. Um, they just weren't interested, you know. They were, like, quite happy for us to pay our mortgage on a credit card with no income coming in and awful, you go to another it? lender. It is. It's, it's heartbreaking. And the stories that I've heard and that we've all heard, it is all heartbreaking. But mm. I just, I want to get the point across. We are not bad people. We were not bad lenders. This could have happened to any bank, not necessarily Northern Rock. It could have been HSBC, anybody. You know, people sit up on their little thrones thinking it's not going to happen to them. It really could happen to them. And it really could. And, and also, the thing that galls, I think, people out there, generally speaking, and certainly me, I mean, I remember I had to get um, one of those endowment mortgages once, years and years ago, because um, that was the only kind of mortgage you could get. And, you know, you're not necessarily, you know, the best knowledgeable person about mortgages. So I was told by my bank, and it was my own bank that gave it to me, you know, they said, oh, yeah, this is great, because this will be an investment for the future. And, of course... They then put out this warning about halfway through the mortgage, or a few years after, that actually um, it's going to be worth less money, the endowment, when you come to the end of the 25-year period than it is worth now. And I'm going, yep. well, how is that even fair and, and possible? And, you know, how do I get out of it? And luckily I could get out of it. You can't get out of this, which is incredibly no. unfair. And we, like Rachel, we, we were on... Well, we're different to Rachel, actually, because we were on repayment. Yeah. But when it all went into um, UCAR initially, mm. because the rate rocketed, we had to go to interest only. We couldn't afford sure. the repayments. And it's like we didn't think for the life of us that 12 years later, we'd still be stuck yeah. with them. with no. And it is the legislation that needs to change. We, 
we're told if we had a like-for-like mortgage, I'd be paying £550 less a month than I currently pay. But I can't afford to do that. That's incredible. Somebody needs to step up. Hopefully the government, when they're back in, we did have quite a lot of support Mm. before, hoping that they will all continue and get more. Because it's not fair, and it's, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm being, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair, but it's... Well, no, but it actually isn't fair, so you're quite right, Julia. Well, listen, let's let's keep in touch and let's see see what we can do, because I think it's absolutely the right thing to do to, to, to make it possible, for at the very least, for you guys to change the mortgage um, um, company that you're with, because that seems to me to be a restraint of, of trade and undemocratic, apart from the else. Juliet, thanks very much indeed uh, for telling us your story. Let's go to Richard, uh, who's in Manchester, and wants to talk tactical voting. Hello, Richard. Yes, good morning, Mike. Morning. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. Mike, um, I was a little bit aghast this morning, just turned the TV on, and uh, there in front of me is uh, a guy from Roland Rudd's, you know, People's Vote campaign. I've never seen a more scruffy individual... And he went on and on and spouted and shouted to the people, to us, 17.4 million people who voted to, 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 to come out of the EU, telling us we have to, have to vote. We have to keep Boris Johnson out. And oh, I know. He had a little script in front of him. And it was quite sickening, really, Mike. I mean, they're, they're playing the man and not the ball. Yeah, and, and also, of- sorry, that's their judgment, right? That does not mean it's a fact. And they spout this stuff as if it is a fact. And it can't be a fact because it's an opinion. Quite. And you're the only one, to be honest with you, and Julie Hartley Brewer, and I'm really, really looking forward to Thursday night. That's going to be wonderful. And Me I hope too. A lot of, I hope there's a lot of people listening who say... We can't be dictated to by the, these people like Gina Miller smiling and saying, I'm going to go for a hung parliament. And I sit back and I go, why, yeah. Mrs. Miller? Why are you doing that? I don't see any point in that. But that's their new mantra, this new thing. And he came on this morning and it was all a lead on from Alastair Campbell. And he, he interviews John Burko and he uses the word liar 11 times, you know, about Johnson. Mike, we have to get out of the EU. We have to. There's no other way. Also, by the way, by the way, may I just remind all these people who make these kinds of statements, Richard, that universal suffrage is all about making up your own mind and deciding who you want to vote for, uh, regardless of what anybody else tells you. But, Mike, if they were um, a a Labour MP, if they were a Conservative MP, if they put their guts on the line to walk around and do it, but these people know what they're doing. When they get onto the TV, they, you know, your program has 500 million people, 2 million people listening to it, and people can form an opinion because it is an opinion. Yes. It's something that people can digest themselves and go, hey, that guy was talk- telling the truth then. But these guys are setting out now to get this last three days mm. and we've got to be as dirty as we can and all that. And I, honest to God, it's exhausting. But I'll look forward to your programme on Thursday and Friday. I'll tell you what, that's <laughs> going to be the highlight of my life. Tremendous. Richard, thank you very much indeed. It will certainly be the highlight of mine as well. It'll be great fun. Uh, we will be here, as I said earlier, uh, all the way through from 10pm when the polls close on Thursday night. Julie Hartley-Brew will bring you her uh, show for three hours. I'll take over at one. Uh, we'll go till 6.30. She'll take over at 6.30 and take us all the way through till 10. And then I'll pick up again uh, and take you from 10 till one. I might need uh, quite a lot of 
coffee. Uh, I'll certainly need a lot of stimulation from the outside world, which is you uh, on the phones, 03444991000. We'll have a whole host of guests, pundits, people telling us what's happening, the results coming in as they uh, speed up uh, towards the uh, morning. And, of course, we'll be live streaming on YouTube as well. So it's going to be quite an event, I have to tell you. Uh, it is an election night special. You won't want to be anywhere else. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Please don't spoil my day. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344-499-1000. You know what to do. Uh, we're coming up to very nearly 82 hours to go uh, until the election closes at 10 o'clock on Thursday night. Uh, and the marathon begins of myself and Julie Hartley Brewer uh, all the way through until 1pm the following day. It's going to be great fun. It's going to be all the news that you need. And uh, not only can you listen to it here on Talk Radio, you'll be able to watch it on YouTube as well. It's a massive, massive new thing that we're doing and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. We're going to talk in the next hour to Penny Smith as well, Talk Radio's breakfast presenter at the weekends. She's going to talk to us about musicals in London and musicals around the world uh, because apparently we're not producing enough of them ourselves. But let's talk now to our favourite travel editor at The Independent. Here's, of course, Simon Calder, uh, our man, uh, with his one foot in a, a 747 at any given time. Simon, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning, yes. Always a pleasure to be here. And I'm tell you what, I'm looking forward to you and Julia's uh, marathon yes, stint. Yes, it's going to be yes. great. We might well, even have to get you involved in it in some way, shape or form, because, you well, know, there's bound, to be, there's bound to be some kind of angle for you in it. Well, yeah, look, I've, I've actually been through all the uh, manifestos for all the parties to see what they're saying about travel and transport. Yes. And uh, quite interesting. There's quite it? a lot going on. Well, listen, let's, let's try and get you involved at some oh, point. Talk to our, of our, my week. Yeah, talk to our people. Come to the Tent of Common Sense on the Friday. <laughs> we'll be more than happy to host you there. Now, but what I don't want you doing is stealing any mattresses from any hotels. No. Amazing story in the Times today, right, about a survey of hoteliers saying that removal of luxury mattresses is a growing problem. I find this quite hard to believe, to be honest. Well, look, uh, it all depends where you start, Mike. So many guests scoop up all the so-called free toiletries yes. that, of course, are replenished every day. And that's fair enough if you're paying you know, yeah, uh, so. £100 or £200 for a night in a fancy hotel, then you kind of think you've bought them. Yeah. Now, one thing that's happening is that that's becoming more difficult as hotels are moving towards full bot bottles of, sort of shower gel and shampoo yes. in in order to save the planet so you can't really remove those that's not a good idea no you can't really take and, the whole thing can you uh, and then you've got all the sort of software so the um the towels the bathrobes the slippers and they're becoming i've noticed ever more luxurious and therefore yes. ever more desirable well, so people have been nicking those but if you're going to steal a mattress which could well be worth thousands of pounds then that is actually organised proper criminal mm. intent yes um, usually with sort of fake credit cards and IDs um, in order to uh, cover your tracks. oh so they're actually maybe checking into these hotels with the knowledge that they're going to take well, the mattress because otherwise it doesn't you know if, if um, uh, Mr Mike Graham checks into a hotel with his credit card and you discover um, uh, I think even an unobservant um, uh, <laughs> hotel cleaner would be able to spot the fact that the, um, that the mattress was missing um, you, you might just say uh, okay Okay, well, we'll charge you for that. Yes. Um, just in the same way, you'll, you'll see 
quite often um, you'll, you'll see signs um, initially it began with the bathrobes yes it's a lovely bathrobe but if you take it with a, with you it would cost you 50 quid yes. and even that, uh, towels are now getting that um, well that I must admit well. I mean a friend of mine I used, when, when I was a reporter many years ago and I used to travel to more hotels than I do now and I don't do it very often now but there was a time when I was in and out of hotels all the time and it was around about probably the sort of late 80s early 90s I would say that they started getting wise and charging you for, mm. for a friend of mine took a took a bathrobe and found that he got hit with 60 quid for it you know yeah um, and i said well that's obvious but the slippers i always t i always take because well, the slippers to me are part of the freebie because they're in they're in well, they're, they're once you know you can't leave them behind once you've used them so why would you well, you know nobody's yeah, going to want your old slippers are they <laughs> Well, I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure on uh, a well-known um, online auction site, uh, Mike Graham's old slippers would command a well, fortune. No, but um, I mean, they, it's not like I mean they can wash the robe again and make it look like new, but they can't yes. wash the slippers, surely. No, well, well, well look, uh, but, but you, you've kind of hit upon the, the kind of slightly blurred line between yeah. what comprises part of the sort of fixtures and fittings and what you're free to take away. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, um, I was I was in uh, Aberdeen recently. Um, you know, just at the the uh, station getting a cab and the um, driver picked up my bag which right. was um, unusually heavy for me and he said oh so you've got all the hotel cutlery in here then <laughs> um, long, long tradition of it but most of the places I stay in Mike you, you have to pay a sort of you know five pound or five euro deposit on the um, TV remote control so there's not yeah. a lot worth taking away but people have been you know, industrially removing TVs and and mattresses and uh, other, other. I mean, yeah, I've stayed in some odd places in America back in the day when I was working over there, and I'd, there's sort of motels in the back of Beyond where you'd find that the remote was actually attached by a chain ah. to the uh, to the television. So yes. you, when you could take it as far as the bed, but that was about it. You couldn't take it out. But in terms of this story here. People are taking things like the shower heads. If you've yeah. got like one of those lovely rain showers, take oh, the shower course, heads. Yeah. Um, TVs have been taken. Artwork has been taken off the wall. Coffee makers. Yes. Now, you're, you're, of course, you're sort of thinking, well, how do you sneak away, sneak through uh, reception? If you've got a um, a mattress, that's going to be, be something you can notice. But, of course, a lot of hotels have direct access to the car park. Yes. So if you've got your car, or more likely a van parked, um, you can just uh, take it down there and, and move and it out. And if, if it is a five-star hotel, you've probably paid them 25 quid to park the car there in the first yeah. place. So you think, oh, well, I bought the mattress then. Yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, really, it's incredible. My mother, and I don't wish to cast any aspersions on her because she's now 95 years old and she may or may not be listening, um, she had a propensity for souvenir ashtrays uh, uh, back in the day. Yeah, of course, um, ashtrays. Remember those, everybody? Yeah, yes. yeah. And, and she had a marvellous collection of them. And one time, um, and she told me this story against herself, she was uh, having lunch at the Bath uh, Crescent Hotel, which Ooh, you might know, very fancy. Gosh, yeah, very, very I was nice, at university yeah. down there, and she came down, uh, and she had lunch with a friend, and um, it's got a beautiful uh, entranceway, which has got this kind of black and white mosaic tiled floor. Um, and as she was leaving um, yeah. the, for, the, 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 the the lobby, basically yeah. she went to take something out of her handbag. Oh, no. The ashtray sort of came out of the handbag, oh, fell no. on the floor, smashed into a million pieces. No. And the maitre d' came running out and said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, madam, started lifting all the pieces yeah. up. 
and then realised it was one of the ashtrays from the restaurant that she'd stolen. Yes. Well, quite. And I used to say to her, why don't you just... Because in in those days, you could ask and say, look, would you mind if I... You've got 25 ashtrays. Do you mind if I just take one of these souvenir ashtrays? And normally they'd say yes. They'd be quite happy. Yeah. It's a tricky one. But uh, no, uh, you you shouldn't go on the basis that if it's not nailed down, then it's yours. Right. I think think that's that's wrong. No, I Um, think you're absolutely right about that. And and the same thing happens on on flights as well, particularly if you've got those nice, you know, uh, that what British, uh, sorry, Virgin Atlantic salt and pepper shakers, which were most definitely yes. not supposed to be removed. Mm. Um, they they lost, and I think they may still lose a, a lot of those. And of course, um, oh, well, there's the, uh, talking of flights, you've got the headphones, and um, some of them are really quite good. And if you're going business though, or first, I mean, presumably everything that they've given you. Um, you um, should be able to take, well, even if no. it's a, a White & Company blanket from British Airways. I think if uh, I was paying, you know, two grand for one-way flights to New York or something, I'd go, do you mind if I take this with me? I, I think they would mind a bit. Really? Um, I think they would. Um, I think you're allowed to take away the pyjamas. I think on Qantas you get uh-huh. in-flight pyjamas and a bit like, I'd guess, the uh, the Mike Graham slipper yes. um, thing. I've never, you, I'm afraid I've never been lucky enough to fly anywhere that gave me pyjamas. No, uh, but I don't think <laughs> that you would want to... To uh, necessarily um, have somebody else's old pajamas. I really if you're don't think 5, you would. Five thousand quid. Then I, so I think you get to keep the pajamas. Yeah. Um, but not not that the the really nice noise cancelling headphones. No. I, well, uh, I mean, even I have standards that you know I would never break the law in that sense. But uh, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much indeed, as ever, Simon Calder, travel editor at the Independent. Uh, we shall be definitely hearing from him over the course of the uh, election night and the election day, uh, which is Thursday night into Friday, because as he says there's lots of transport policy being put out there by all the parties and he's the man to cut through it uh, and tell us what the sensible bits of it are across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio